0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am here in New York City for the O'Reilly AI Conference, and I'm with Pankaj Goyal and Rochna Dand. Pankaj is the Vice President for AI and HPC Product Management at HPE, and Rochna is Director of Product Management with HPE InfoSight. Pankaj and Rochna, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thank you. Thank you, Sam, for having us. Absolutely, absolutely. I am uh, excited to jump into our conversation. Uh, Pankaj, you're keynoting at some point. When is that? Or both of you?
1: Uh, Both of us. uh, It is today afternoon, and our topic is how HP is helping our customers get the best out of their data by using AI.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, we'll dive into that. But before we do, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background. Why don't we start with you, Pankaj?
1: Sure, Sam. Um, I'm a computer science engineer by background, by education. Back in the days, actually, I did my bachelor thesis in natural language processing when we were trying to parse a mixed language text, a mixture of multiple languages. And, uh, and since then, it is fascinating to see how the world of machine learning has evolved over uh, the last 10 to 15 years. Um, I did a stint at uh, McKinsey and Company as a management consultant in tech, um, in tech industry. And I also ran a startup in the mobility space back in India. At HP, um, I today lead the product management for this exciting space of AI and high-performance computing. And before that, I used to run uh, business operations and strategy for our data center business. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Rajna?
2: So I started, again, my training is a master's in computer science, and I did an undergrad degree in computer science as well. And uh my speciality actually was computer graphics. And so as soon as I graduated, I made a beeline for SGI, which was the hot computer graphics company at the time, long, long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh but ever since then I've worked at a series of high growth startups, mostly truly category defining startups. Um I worked for Loud Cloud which was Netscape founder Mark Andreessen's startup after he was Netscape right? yes the cloud before <laughs> wow. cloud honestly before <laughs> you know it was before virtualization came along and so cloud was hard to do before there was virtual machines uh-huh. um, and so I was there for about 5 years we uh, we learned a lot and from there I went to VMware and I said virtualization is going to solve a lot of problems <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I did product management there I did a lot of uh, work in the, their hypervisor and vcenter their management uh, flagship product and then from there i went to nimble storage when nimble was really small um and that is where we thought about uh, how to bring ai to the it industry alongside our main line of business which was uh storage enterprise storage and then um nimble storage got acquired by hp approximately 2 years ago and i've been heading on product management for infosite which is our ai ops product at hp
0: uh, so, Pankaj, why don't you walk us through a little bit of the presentation that you're giving and uh, the way you think about AI at
1: HPE? Sure, Sam. So, we are really in uh, living in some really exciting times today. AI has come a long way uh, in terms of expanding the world of uh, possibilities. Uh, and it can be attributed to the data explosion that we have seen and also the compute power explosion that we have seen over the last, uh, I would say, three to five years. Even in our personal lives, AI touches up each of us very closely. Uh, my two kids, uh, five and two-year-olds, they actually know how to talk to our voice assistants. And it's 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 amazing to see how they interact with some of these AI-driven machines and uh, gadgets in our homes. We at HP truly believe in this power of transformation, which is being enabled through AI. It is almost a natural step where we collected a lot of data over the last five to 10 years. And now we are trying to get the real insights which can impact uh, the way we live and the way we work in our daily lives. And we are truly excited about this potential and it is one of the top priorities for us as a company. When we think of AI, we really think of it in three pillars. Um, Pillar number one is how we are bringing um, the best people, the best technology and the best partners to our customers to adopt AI to help them in their journey towards an AI-led transformation. And I'm going to talk more about it. Uh, pillar number two is how we are adopting, how we are changing ourselves by using AI machine learning as a next frontier. Um, and how we are in- enriching our product portfolio to enable new customer experiences, uh, especially in the field of uh, data center operations, which are becoming more and more complex uh, day by day. And what Roshna is leading is tremendously impactful and, uh, and we are already seeing solid positive results. And then pillar number three is how we are investing in the future of AI. As we all know, AI is a dynamic field. Not all the problems have been solved. There's a lot of research going on to understand the next generation of algorithms, the next generation of technologies which will power those algorithms. And through our le- efforts by Hewlett Packard Enterprise Labs, we are investing in these efforts uh, specifically around memory-driven computing, which are which becomes really critical as the data set size increases. Um, and through our efforts to unle- to understand the next generation of accelerators like Dot Product Engine, which is our efforts to effort towards it. So. These are three pillars for us. Um, AI for our customers. Number two, AI within our own products. And then number three is AI for the Mm -hmm. future.
0: And when you think about AI for your customers, Mm -hmm. how do you characterize where your customers are? I mean, HP is a huge company, lots Mm -hmm. of customers, lots of different sizes and shapes and industries. Uh, Is there any kind of one way that you think about where that customer base is with regards to AI?
1: We are definitely seeing that all the customers are not, at the same point in their AI journey. We think of customers in three different stages on the maturity of their AI adoption. There are a large set of enterprise customers which are just getting started. So they do not know the exact AI use cases. They're almost anxious about adopting AI, uh, but they're trying to figure out what to do about it. Number two is we have a set of customers which have figured out where to get started, but they are experimenting a lot. And I think a lot of enterprise AI is experimentation today. And then number three, we have a set of advanced customers. And to their credit, they have been investing in AI for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And they have reached a stage where AI is almost in their DNA of how they work, how they strategize, and how they shape up the future of not only their own company, but the whole industry. And we work with them a lot as well. Depending on the maturity stage, uh, the help that these customers need from HPE uh, differs. If you are an enterprise which is looking to get started, HPE helps them to, by providing them the advisory services to get started, to understand which what is happening in the industry, what is the landscape like, what are the use cases to get the maximum ROI. If you are running an experiment, your problem statement is different. Your problem statement is, where is my data? What is my data pipeline? How do I get my data scientists? Um, how do I prove the ROI so that I can get more investments from my CIO or from a CIO, CEO? And there we, pro- we follow a solution-centric approach where we bring in our best-in-class people, um, data scientists, uh, solution architects, data engineers, and We bring in our best-in-class technology, uh, right from compute to storage, from edge inference to training in the data center. And then we bring in a curated list of partners who can help in that journey. Uh, There is a lot of fragmentation in the ecosystem. Many startups are coming up. Uh, Everybody is talking about AI. We act as that trusted partner to help our customers understand which partners to work with. And through this combination, we are attacking specific use cases for our customers. For example, today we work with five leading car companies in helping them in their self driving projects. We are working with leading manufacturing companies in the US and in Asia to help them improve quality control on their factory floor. We are working with some of the leading consumer tech companies to solve some of the largest AI problems. We are working with some of the leading city governments to enable smart cities and to build the cities for the next 10 to 20 years. And we have built and we are con- we continue to build some of the largest AI infrastructure or some of the largest AI supercomputing uh, power or supercomputing infrastructures at a country level, at a research level, to help uh, provide large-scale access to these capabilities uh, for startups, for research, and for enterprise purposes. And that we do in the US, in Europe, in Japan, across the world. With all these success stories, um, we are truly doing some incredible work at HP uh, to push forward to help our enterprise help our enterprise customers uh, go through this journey.
0: Roshna, can you elaborate on InfoSight and where InfoSight fits into that mix?
2: Right. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's the overarching, uh, great view, Pankaj, that you gave about where all HP's AI go- is going. What we've done at in InfoSight is we've taken a sliver of that. And what we've told people is if you're buying a product from HPE, there is AI embedded in that product. And what that will enable that product to do, and these are enterprise products, right? Data center products. What that enables that product to do is, our ultimate vision it, it is self-managing, self-healing, self-optimizing. So for example, if you're buying um, you know a storage appliance from HPE, be it Nimble storage, 3par storage, um, it comes embedded with thousands of sensors that it's sending back to our own HPE cloud where we're doing a very aggressive AI on and have been doing for a very long time, you know, more than uh, more than 7 years now. And as a result of what we have been able to do with that data that's coming home across the globe, across the install base, we have been able to predict issues that can happen in the field and prevent issues that uh, that happen for customers in the field. Um, and so when you're buying one of these appliances and you install them in your data center, for example, uh, you can be uh, there's a lot of benefits you see from them. So for example, uh, the amount of uh, time and skill level you need to manage one of these devices uh, goes down. You know, we've measured recently doing surveys of our customers anywhere from 75 to 90% fewer resources required. Uh, they run optimally. We have a customer uh, recently who who uh, participated in you know an activity with us to actually quantify what they've been able to get through buying these products that are embedded with AI that manage themselves, and they showed us how they saved um, close to a million dollars in not having to buy. Additional hardware equipment, because through uh, the machine learning that we do in the back, we were able to tell them how they can recover resources and optimize how they run applications uh, on these on these capabilities. So basically, what we're doing is saying, hey, the IT industry, the IT people today are used to enabling AI for their businesses, uh, you know, whether it's uh, selling widgets or optimizing your sales targets, etc. But what is AI doing for the IT? Industry itself. And that's where InfoSight comes in, is where we actually enable these capabilities, these products to manage themselves. And they can be software products or hardware products.
0: Mm-hmm you mentioned that the devices like the storage devices have thousands of sensors in them mm-hmm. you know i think of thousands of sensors i think of like an aircraft engine that's right. like the classic right. ge example right. Right. what are the sensors in a storage array
2: right and so they they can be pretty complicated devices right they are uh, our customers consider them mission critical because they have uh, mission critical applications running on them they could have had a trading application running where mm-hmm. Uh, latency, which is a concept of a response time, if they miss uh, latencies by some seconds, it can be pretty, uh, the financial losses can be pretty big. So these are uh, uh, capabilities that have to, while lives don't depend on them, they are mission critical to businesses. So the sensors are, are widespread. They could be sensors that measure in lots of details how the different components inside the box is doing. So how is the CPU performing right now? You know, CPU itself has 10s and 20 sensors itself mm-hmm. you know there's a there's a concept called a cpu ready is an application waiting to get compute or does it have the compute it needs which application is getting to compute memory has a lot of sensors if you look at you know how an application flows there's the cpu there's memory there's lots of cards how what is the health of each card and so if you actually pry open these things there are a lot of uh, factors that can indicate health. And then there's the whole software stack, right? Is every stack behaving the way it, um, it, it needs to behave? Uh, there's very complex file systems in these. And so who's consuming the most resource? Who's waiting for a resource? Uh, and then there are some more uh, traditional sensors like fans and temperatures and stuff like right. that. But some of them are very critical. The interesting thing is uh, uh, the InfoSight idea came from the acquisition of Nimble Storage and... Nimble Storage's first line of code was written about eight to nine years ago when the company was founded. And by that time, there was this vision that IoT has arrived not just for consumer products, but for enterprise products and the data center as well. And so when our engineers wrote the first line of code, they had that uh, that. A vision in mind of they needed to telemetrize everything that they're writing. So they actually mm-hmm. built very deep sensors into each and every line of code, thinking that later when they go into debugging mode or when they understand how products behave in customers' environments and data centers, this will actually help them. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, initially, what we had was like a doctor's stethoscope. And now what we have are these very fancy MRI machines. So that's kind of the equivalent. They had those MRI machines in mind mm. when they wrote that. And so it tells you about the health. It tells you about the performance. Uh, it tells you about events uh, that are going on. Uh, False as well. It tells you about configuration settings. Each customer sets these things up you know, with the different configurations.
0: We, I think we often talk about kind of technologies that were born in the age of the web and technologies that were born in the age of mobile and how kind of what's available impacts the way technology evolves. And uh, the idea of, you know, enterprise technology being born in the age of IoT and AI and what the implications of that are, I think, is kind of an interesting one, starting from kind of taking advantage of all of this telemetry data that's available and pulling it in so that Something can be done with it.
2: Right. So there was a leapfrog advantage, right, Uh, by the time we started. uh, There were a few naysayers in the industry, and they said, well, enterprise products are running mission-critical applications, sensitive applications for businesses. Uh, People are not going to send you data, just like you connect IoT, a consumer product through IoT. They're not going to send you this data. and." Mm -hmm. You know, we found out that our attach rate for this data was 97%. These were enterprise companies. Meaning
0: the customer had
2: the option to... They had the option. They had to turn it on because it okay. was a time we one share of customers would send us streaming data from their highly sensitive equipment back to our cloud and trust us with that data. Mm-hmm. We figured by default, we leave it off and the customer can opt in. And we found 97% of our customers opted in. Some of them initially said there were policies within the companies that they could not send data out, they could not connect to the cloud, they had never done it. Uh, well, lo and behold, the first time they ran into some problem, uh, you know, we showed them what we could do for other customers. If you're sitting on these datas and the tools mm-hmm. that we have to interpret it, the value then drove them to actually turn that on. Um, and, of course, this is all machine data. It's not customer-sensitive data, uh, uh, but it, it is that uh, almost like a revolution where the enterprise products are now seeing what consumer products can do for them. And you know, at the end of the day, if it's going to save you 80% of your time that you would have otherwise sent, spent in uh, troubleshooting hairy issues by looking at 20 different graphs, have 10 people involved. And the worst of all, uh, if you talk to enterprise customers and IT people that actually manage these, uh, these devices, they have to call multiple vendors for support. What we did at Dimble Storage was because we had so much automation and insight built into our products, we did not have level one and level two support engineers. We never hired those as a startup we hired directly level three engineers. So, you know how you call on the phone and someone asks you and tells you to reboot the thing or, you know, just gives you some <laughs> list of a script that they have and then they pass you to the level two engineer. And then finally, you know, you talk to the gods that are actually talking to the developers. Uh, we eliminated, we never hired. And to this day, we don't have level one, level two engineers. You call, you get go straight to a level three engineer. So the issues that the level one and level two people would have resolved have been eliminated through machine learning, AI and automation. And so, those issues don't happen for the customer. So if the customer is facing an issue and thinking this thing is not behaving the way you want it to, it's probably a very hairy issue. So they just call and they they talk to a level three person. We're also very proud that when you actually call a level three person, we answer the phone in less than one minute. So it's not like we are queuing people up because we don't have level one, level two. Our customer satisfaction scores are extremely high, four point nine out of five. This is customer self-reported saying how satisfied they were,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: even these hairy issues we solve in less than forty-five um, minutes. These are issues that can take weeks sometimes to resolve if you don't have that level of insight and you haven't built the machine learning models to automate.
0: Can you maybe walk us through the one of these, an example of one of these hairy issues that um, comes up that may take hours or weeks to troubleshoot and how the data and machine learning plays into solving that?
2: Definitely. And uh, I can't name names. So this is a large customer in the oil and gas industry. They make additives for oil. Additive products for oil and gas—a uh, very uh, global like company. this is
0: going to be a real example. It's going to be a real <laughs> example.
2: Uh, the revenues are about six billion dollars. Okay, you can Google it now and, <laughs> and see who this is. But they came to us, um, and you know they were looking to buy more gear from us. And this actually is a is a story from three par storage arrays that we sell. And they said they have been—they uh, uh, just cannot add more workload. They've been having issues with workloads that are running today. Of course, the response times have been sub-milliseconds, but they have not been able to expand the footprint. And they were running VMware's VDI, uh, which is a virtual desktop uh, product, which is very popular in very large companies. Uh, they actually had consultants come in from different vendors, which also I shall not name. We're all friends. But they had uh, different vendors come in, and there was one vendor assignment that was engaged for about, you know, months trying to figure out what the problem was, why they could not put more workload on these devices, and why there was erratic behavior. Uh, you know, the people collected a lot of logs, et cetera, that couldn't fix it. Uh, this was the time when 3PAR was just coming on to InfoSight support the product itself, because like I said, it started with Nimble Storage, now it's coming on to all HP products. And so... We, uh 3Part came on, we started collecting a lot of the telemetry, starting doing a lot of the analysis on that. And literally within a matter of days, we could show them, you know, it takes time for the data to come and for us to analyze. And then what we do is we show the data to our support people and we reflect it back to the customer through a portal. And they could log in and out of the thousands and thousands of virtual machines they had, they could pinpoint a few virtual machines that were behaving strange. And what happened in those virtual machines was it's a virtual desktop. So when the user logs out of it, it triggers an antivirus scan, and that takes up a lot of the resources. But to find those needles in the haystack was very hard before we had all this modeling that they plugged into. And they were able to solve the problem. And as a result, but they didn't how did as much they, as we wanted to sell them. but like, they What decided.
0: specific data... And what specific models allow them to solve this yeah,
2: problem? Yeah, so we, there's lots of different models that we employ. Uh, the data that we get from, for example, from VMware tells us on the compute layer. Now, the thing to notice, I'm talking about we were selling storage products to them, mm-hmm. but that doesn't prevent us from collecting data from products that are running on top of the storage product, right? Mm-hmm. The application owner at the end of the day cares whether their application is running or not. The business cares about the application. The many layers of hardware and software underneath, they don't care about. So what we've decided is we will collect data from the entire stack, because at the end of the day, we want to show you where some problems are coming. So from VMware, we collect intensive CPU data, intensive memory data, uh, IO data to see all these little cards that are running. Are they saturated or not? And then we correlate. Um, And so we have uh, some um, uh, today mostly supervised Uh, machine learning models, you know, we do regression analysis for some, we do classifiers for some others. We are just starting to go into unsupervised, Uh, but we correlate this data across the stack where we see what looks like a problem. A lot of these are expert defined as well. So over time, what we've done is when people report problems, we have gone in and labeled our data and tagged our data to show what do problems look like and then what did solutions look like. Um, and so there's a lot of that that modeling that we have done in the past as well. And so we are sitting on these patterns where the patterns can detect and say, this is a problem and this is what solved the problem. And so if you look at our UI, there's recommendations that we make And say, you know, your number one recommendation is you can move this virtual machine to another resource that has XYZ specification. Number two recommendation is you can throttle this virtual machine. So these problems on finding the needle in the haystack we're able to do because it's pattern recognition. If you were a human being going through each and every virtual machine and seeing how it was behaving, you know, it would just... Uh, exhaust the time. It would
0: take the two weeks. <laughs> well, not the
2: two weeks. I think we had people working on it for weeks and weeks. So it would mm-hmm. be more of a, I would say at the scale of a year or so, because we're talking about thousands and thousands of virtual machines that these environments have.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, so you need to have patterns that uh, that you can just scan through. And we do it automatically all the time. We don't wait for somebody to complain and it, mm-hmm. can, it can highlight.
0: And so the models that you're working with do they you you mentioned supervised, unsupervised, and regressions and things like that? Do they tend to be fairly uh, simple, traditional machine learning, time series kinds of things, or uh, deep learning? Like, what's the spectrum of yeah. complexity?
2: So for the models today, they are so they are relatively simple. You know, there's now it depends on the use cases. Sometimes we do a lot of forecasting. For example, we help customers with capacity planning. And there's simple forecasting tools that we use today, we use ARIMA, for example. Uh, what um, and then for the prediction capabilities, our uh, supervised our uh, uh, you know regression uh, analysis, of classifiers. We do decision trees. Uh, very simple for right now, but we have a team of data scientists that are just focused now on going deeper into into the data now. No the pun more- intended. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so they are now going, they are exploring more neural networks, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and to see what they can get out of that. Um, you know, initially when we started eight years ago, we just did even simple SQL queries and pure correlations. And that revealed a lot of, uh, uh, lot of capabilities that, you know, nobody had done this for the IT industry prior.
0: I'm imagining if you've got uh, a dashboard that you're presenting to IT folks and telling them they need to go do thing X, reboot
2: the
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> reboot the storage array or something, mm-hmm. probably in more detail or more uh, fine grain. But this whole idea of explainability, like it's not just do this, it's like why, you know, you need to do that. To what degree does that come up?
2: Right. So, you know, there's always uh, initially people want to be cautious, especially when the systems are mission critical, when you tell them to do something, they want to know why. You know, their jobs depend on this. If if they do something wrong and the application goes down, you know, mm-hmm. there's financial uh, consequences of that. Uh, and But over time, people build confidence. So what we do today is, uh, you know, l- predicting what's going to happen uh, and knowing how to prevent it based on the, the models that you've trained in the past is one thing. What we've also gone and built because of this, uh, there was a necessity to build automation. And so when, when we do, you know, today we have, I don't know, more than there's hundreds of thousands of deployments in the field across the globe. Right. And the models are running on all of them. So the scale is huge. And like I said, we don't have many people supporting that. Right. So we build a lot of automation and these tools will actually then detect that something is going to go wrong. For example, there may be some uh, a memory issue that's going to happen that will impact certain applications. So we automatically notify the customer What we hear from our customers often is somebody called me and told me a problem is going to happen, which I've never experienced before. It's usually me banging on the doors, right, and saying Mm -hmm. there's a problem, help me. Uh, And so we notify the customer, and it is very easy for them to quickly see the symptoms because we can tell them what the symptoms are. You know, if you tell them where to go look, they can go look there and see it for themselves. It's just a problem that when the scales at which IT admins manage these devices they don't know where to look Mm -hmm. uh, let alone beforehand even after issues happen they don't know where to look so we show them the proof of the pudding there's a little bit of information we give them uh, now the customers have built so much confidence in these uh, these predictions that we make that they have actually asked us, since you know this with so much confidence, why don't you fix it for us? And that is actually where our vision is as HPE. We are, we are now building capabilities to go fix these issues for customers. So once you buy the product, you put it in your data center, you have these eyes and ears and hands that are going to take care of it and fix it for you. And the reason we can do that uh, at reasonable cost is because we, we've, we've automated it, right? We're not putting um, people behind that. Mm-hmm. But customers do ask. Initially, they are yeah. skeptical and they do ask, but they very quickly see the credibility behind it. Uh, because you can actually, once you know where to look, you can look and see that this is actually something that's going on.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so much of transitioning through that um, that kind of maturity Cycle. That's the way I think. It. I did a, a paper on industrial AI and kind mm-hmm. of built out this model, um, reflecting the way I saw folks deploying that kind of AI in industrial settings that, you know, first they're using it to uh, help them monitor, then they move to helping them optimize, and then they move to uh, helping them control or automate. And it's kind of a maturity spectrum, and it's really the, you know, we're a given company is. It's all about trust. Like how much do they trust the technology? That Do they trust AI to give them recommendations that will actually optimize what they're trying to do? Right. Do they trust that, you know, if they hand over the keys, that it's actually going to fix problems before they start?
2: Right, right. And so we are at that point where we tell them what to do, but we tell them very precisely because of how much we know about that environment and they have gone, gotten to the point where they're trusting us because they're seeing when they do make the changes that we ask them to make, that it makes it actually solves the problem, right? So the keys are there in their hands now. And the next stage is for us to go. They're asking us to take the keys and do the job for them, right? Yeah. They don't want to drive around anymore. They just want Uber to show up and, <laughs> and, and, and take them there. Um, I uh,
0: imagine providing a rich level of detail is part of what helps Create that trust. Um,
2: yes and no. I think um, I do find that sometimes sharing other customers' examples, sometimes it's the brand that you have built, mm-hmm. uh, is enough. Each each uh, customer is different. There are those that are very hands on and they like that, but there is a trend where uh, a lot of our customers just can't scale anymore. Um, and they are more willing to to trust you mm. uh, with with making changes. You know, I saw that at when I was at VMware, where we introduced this capability, which was, you could take a workload, an application, move it around physical resources, separate compute boxes, mm-hmm. automatically. It's called vMotion. vMotion was a big deal. It was yes. Huge. But I was at VMware when before we introduced vMotion, and people told us, "No we way, will never let you do that. <laughs> How can you move a workload?" And look at where it is today. And the way we built that was we built a safety net around it, and we said, "Okay, we'll come out and recommend that you should move this workload to this destination, but you will be the one hitting the go button." Mm. And they said, "Fine, I can live with that." And they tried that, and they said, "Well, every time it tells me, I hit the go button, so I might as well let it go." And I had one customer saying, "Well, I will let it do it, but I'll sit there and keep watching it for a while." And, mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure that customer's not watching it anymore. Right. So, right. Uh, so trust has to be built. Yes.
0: So this started with storage, or really grew out of uh, things that you were doing at Nimble. How? I'm trying to get at how much work it is to go to the next right. thing, like, That's you know, so from one storage thing to the right. next storage thing is probably pretty easy, but right. then, you know, to servers, is that...
1: Right,
2: so actually, uh, so our goal is to bring it out, to bring InfoSight capability uh, to the entire HP portfolio, and it's not mm-hmm. going to happen over time, and we don't, it's, it's going to happen over time, it's not going to be uh, instant, we don't want it to be instant, Um and so there's a, there's a two-pronged approach. Even if approach. you
0: had a magic wand, like you wouldn't?
2: <laughs> yeah, If I had a magic wand, yes, I would. <laughs> but I know I don't. <laughs> um, you know, you, you want to be careful when you're rolling uh, these things out. Um, so we went from one storage to the next storage uh, pretty quickly. And we're taking a two-pronged approach where, uh, you know, we talked about the machine learning models, the AI, the sort of the fun stuff. There is a less fun sounding but very important capability, which is the infrastructure in the back, right? There's data pipelines, there's data lakes and there's ETL. there's capabilities of the data scientists, the tools that they use to just mess around and see what patterns come up and what distributions they see. they just they they do their own thing. Um, and so what we're doing is we're helping different teams build this, but leverage from our learning of what worked and did not work in terms of infrastructure. Um, and also in terms of use cases, there are some use cases that lend themselves. Uh, They're the low-hanging fruit use cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, each product also may have different uh, pain points in the industry and, you know, on how they compete with other products in the industry. So we help other customers, other products find the use cases. There are some models, some automation that lend themselves pretty readily, and there are others that will have to be built. Um, definitely. So, our two-pronged approaches: we're helping people, other products, build this, but build it to our specs. And we are building actually a services-oriented architecture in the back, where all these capabilities that are meant that go into our infrastructure will be turnkey for the other products. So, we will build that, and then we'll say, okay, you know, product, the new product that wants to do this. Uh, this learning in the cloud uh, for their own product, they come to us and then we give them turnkey solutions. We give them a data pipeline. We'll give them the data lake, where they can put their data. We have all the tools ready. So we're going to build this platform that they can plug into. Um, and uh, and that's how we will, we will roll out even farther and beyond. The idea here also is one plus one equals five. Right, where for the not even three, you're going for five. Yes, (laughs) well, that's AI, right? (laughs) But the idea is, um, you can see patterns across the board that are much more valuable than if you just showed did correlations. For example, Mm -hmm. within your own silo, right? When the correlation jumps the silo, imagine for the application. Sometimes this is all the same resources underneath, right? We may think it's a a server, it's a storage, it's a networking device, but from an applications perspective, application owners perspective. It's all the same. They're all means to ends to his application, right? Mm-hmm. And But if you can correlate, you can eliminate you know, things that look like false positives in the silo, for example, but together to they may make sense and you can pinpoint um, accurately. So there'll be some domain learning in each capability uh, that will build over time, but there is lots to leverage already that's in place.
0: So, Pankaj, when you think about the capability that you're bringing to bear with InfoSight, uh, and maybe even more importantly, what you're learning from engaging with customers around you know, data and telemetry and AI and automation, how do you see that more broadly impact the portfolio at HP?
1: So broadly, we are making our portfolio more intelligent um, and we are enabling uh, new user experiences which were not possible in the past. And uh, HP InfoSight, is a great example of how we can do that in a data center environment. Uh, We have similar efforts going around on the Aruba side where um, Aruba is bringing some of these capabilities and even more uh, at the edge. Mm -hmm. So overall, if you look at HP's vision, we do want to bring in new experiences and intelligence uh, to our end customers uh, to make their life simpler so that they can spend their time on more value-added activities and uh, they can benefit from a lot of automation, um, a lot of in- prediction, and uh, ultimately move to this long-term vision of self-healing, self-maintaining data centers. Um, so we are truly excited by that. And the other, other angle of that is uh, we are learning a lot uh, while we are building InfoSight not only on the customer side, but also on the backend side, uh, in terms of how to build these large-scale data infrastructure. Um, and we are taking some of these learnings to our customers who are, uh, so, who, are, who are trying to solve the same problem. How do I handle large amounts of data? How do I connect my data pipeline from where I'm collecting data to where um, actually I can train my data to where I can infer from the model that I've trained? So we are taking that learning as well as to our customers to help them solve similar problems for different use cases in their own environments. Mm -hmm. So as an organization, as a company, we are definitely learning a lot. We are are moving fast and uh, we are committed to enabling this vision.
0: As you talked about kind of the... Things you're learning and the challenges that you're experiencing being reflective of the things that your customers are experiencing. More broadly, there's a move on the part of a lot of enterprises to kind of serviceize their products, if that mm-hmm. means anything. You know, GE doesn't want to sell you an aircraft engine anymore with mm-hmm. the 2,000 sensors. They want to, you know, provide it as a service. Mm-hmm. Uh do you and this is open to either of you, do you see IT moving in that direction? I guess it already has in a way, you know, with SaaS, but you know, with the kind of the physical right. infrastructure that you know right. we're delivering to IT organizations.
2: Right. And you know, I can I can I can take my my attempt at that. You know, there's been a little bit of a pendulum effect, and I think we're kind of settling in the middle of that pendulum (laughs) night right now, where the traditional was, you know, you own everything, you manage everything. The more control you have, the better it is for your business, um, you know. Uh, And then it started to swing in the other direction where it said, I'm going to put everything in the cloud. I just don't want to own anything on my books. I want to go to OPEX. You know, I'm going to stay focused on my differentiator. And uh, the industry started believing, well, everything is going to the cloud. And I know a lot of um, people in investment banking started to believe everything is going to the cloud. What's going to happen to these companies that are sending equipment for the data center? Well, now cloud has been out long enough where Mm -hmm. people have had experience with that. Enterprises have had experience with that and learned that that is not the the be-all that they thought it was. And it's Mm -hmm. not going to solve all the problems. And so it's coming back to the middle where there are... um, uh, they need people have decided they do need to own infrastructure, have their own infrastructure, go with a best in, best of breed infrastructure, have control on it, etc. But they're also now looking at seeing how instead of managing day to day, they can do services um, on it in, in the sense have pay someone, have a managed service provider for them, for example, right? And then managed service provider is a great model for companies like HPE. Just for the record, InfoSight is given away free today. And so what we're saying is we will use technology to do as much management automatically for you for free customer. But there are those higher-level services that we need to offer that are very context sensitive to that customer or are very specific to their needs. And we have now a very thriving business built on services of these capabilities. Now, whether the SKUs transfer from paying for the device and just... Mm -hmm. all the way paying to services, I can't comment on that. I don't think that's in the works today, Mm -hmm. but that is more of a financial exercise, right? But the idea is first you leverage technology to automate a lot of those things, predict, prevent, automate, and then you offer services at a higher level, right?
0: Uh, It's an interesting question because the labor component is a big part of the cloud value proposition. And if you, through automation, eliminate that, that... Kind of impacts where that pendulum settles for a lot of organizations. I think, right?
1: It's it's also that um, services, in my view, is an experience, Um, Mm. and it is not an experience only for the IT team. I truly believe that it is an experience for the whole company. So it is an experience for the CFO. It is an experience for the CIO. It is an experience for the business unit GM. It is an experience for the CEO, and uh, and we are treating. as a service as an experience addressing all these stakeholders Uh, HP GreenLake is one of the top priorities for us which provides this as a service workload as a service IT in a hybrid environment whether it is on-prem whether it is managed service providers or whether it is um, off-prem in this hybrid environment how can we provide this as a service experience to data scientists to machine learning developers to IT Teams to CFOs is our uh, is our big focus area, and actually um, recently, I think four or five months ago, uh, Blue Data joined HP family, and Blue Data is our effort to provide AI as a service. It essentially provides containers as a service, uh, making it super easy for a data engineer or a machine learning developer or a data scientist uh, to spin off. Uh, the right AI or the right big data environments in their infrastructure and and in a truly hybrid way. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are moving in that direction where we want to provide this as a service experience for machine learning workloads and other workloads as well. And we are committed as a company to do that.
0: Well, Pankaj, Rochna, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you, Sam, for having us.